On today's episode... If you are what we call unconscious incompetent, i.e. you don't know a thing, yeah, then you don't know that you need a thing. Don't analyse it, we don't have to talk about it, we just need to know how you want to feel. You can change the physiology and the biochemistry of your body if you just switch that narrative mm. to another narrative. All of your systems will change. We did everything we could to kind of shout him out of it. Come on, you know, pull yourself together. What's wrong with you? And, and in realisation, that was the most worst thing I could have done, but we didn't know any better. Welcome to the Things I Wish I'd Known podcast. We're on a mission to help those of us who feel way too sad, way too often, remember what it's like to feel alive and 100% yourself again. So whether you're here because you're stressed out, feel like your emotions are constantly hijacking your life, or you've just somehow lost your way, your host, Rachel, has got your back. Let's have all the chats everyone told us not to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like, rebellion. She's a raver, misbehaver, and suicide survivor turned happiness champion. She's on a mission to bring happiness back. Because let's face it, it never really went out of fashion. This podcast may contain content that is triggering for some listeners. If you're sensitive to certain topics, please check the show notes for full episode descriptions. Hello and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel. Today I am here with Dawn Stemmer, who is a solution-focused therapist. And I love this tagline that she has because she talks about working together because illness is not a choice, but recovery is. And I could not agree with that statement more. (laughs) She helps to support people suffering from chronic or acute conditions, and she helps them to find solutions and strategies that enable them to live a more pleasurable and independent life life and I am fully for that as you know if you've listened to this podcast before. So welcome Dawn, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure, thank you for having me on, I'm just, yes it's really nice to be here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. I think, you know, the topic that we're covering today, as people probably will have already seen from reading the show notes before you've opened the podcast, is a difficult subject, right? You know, suicide is the kind of subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And it's one of the reasons I want to talk about it. And I love that you want to talk about it. And I love the fact that at this moment where I'm sitting, I can actually talk about it and even laugh about it as well, which might offend people but it's I want people to know you can laugh yeah at the end you can and it's difficult isn't it because you know obviously the subject is very serious Um, and you know I always like to think of it in a way as the last side effect of depression you know and I think it's very very misunderstood I think because we don't talk about it and because it's feared You know, Mm. and there's this weird um, space in the paradigm between, oh, my God, you know, after the fact, oh, my God, that's so terrible. How didn't we see that there was a problem? You know, all these questions that people are left with, you know, could I have done something differently? Is it my fault? Um, You know, why didn't I see any signs? All these kinds of things that the, the poor people that are left behind are suddenly questioning. And yeah, on the flip side of that coin, you have, oh, they're attention seeking. 
um, <laughs> all they do is is whinge about stuff. Why yeah. can't they just cheer up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> all this kind of thing. And it's like... I've heard it all. Yeah, get over yourself. And you know what, Rachel? I'm going to talk about that because that's what I did with my father. And, and it took me about... After he took his own life, it mm. took me many years for me to realise, actually... I didn't. I didn't cause him to take no. his life. He was already, and and if you don't mind, can I just flip back a little bit? You said I was about really to say that. Yeah, go for it. I was. I was really biting my lip, but I'll breathe. Um, I was really interested in you saying about depression. You know that suicide is like you know the next step after depression. Mm. But from my experience, I really want to disagree because. Depression is is an imbalance as far as I'm I'm not a medic by the way so I you know please correct me if I'm wrong but in my view and my learnings and my understanding depression is coming from a place of where the body and the mind and the nervous system are all out of line with each other they're all out of balance mm. and and it's really you know where I've what I've learned is it's about that what's happening inside is that there's so much pain mm. there's so much turmoil and distress and we don't have a route or we can't find a route to express it or we're stopped mm. from expressing it yeah and and consequently that builds up and builds up and builds up so there are symptoms that come from that and one of them I my view my opinion yeah. is depression and people say, you know, you can't get over it, but you can. You just have to go do the work, which yeah. is this. We've talked about this before, the scariest bit. Mm. There are two types of depression as far as I'm aware. And one of them is clinical, as in like seriously medical, whereas, mm. you know, the brain cannot function. And yes, you need medication, but. But what I kind of argue with people now and my own GPs, because I've done this, is when they try to give me an antidepressant after major incidents, mm. I'll go, well, I'm not depressed. I'm in, I'm in pain. Mm. I'm grieving. So we're not depressed. We're grieving mm. and we're in shock. So so that's really what I wanted to kind of pick up on. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that, actually. Yeah. And I think mental health is very, very misunderstood. Absolutely. And I think everybody's experience of it is really different. And I think this is where, A, it becomes a very interesting topic. Um, and B, it becomes complex because there is, in my opinion, no silver bullet. There's no one size fits all that's going to heal every single person. No. It's really about your personal journey. Yeah. And I totally agree with what you said around that's the scariest bit. No yeah. one's coming. You know, I hate to say it, no one's coming to save you. No. no one can drag you out of that bed. No one can change whether you see the world as like a beautiful, positive, no. like awesome, curious, fun, fantastical, magical place <laughs> or a hopeless, awful, you know, horrendous place. Yeah. And I do think that a lot of mental ill health and mental illness is created through trauma, ongoing and people not ever being taught the correct, to well, not even the correct, that's probably the wrong terminology because I don't think there necessarily is a correct tool, but nobody's taught how to process emotions in a healthy way. No one's taught how to think differently about themselves than that negative critic, you know, mm. that inner negative bias that we all have 
that helps to keep us alive but also can get out of hand (laughs) as I well know from experience um and it's you know once you start to learn and understand some of these things the the whole world changes not overnight you know well it changed for me and and it took it took me a long time because I had to learn I had to talk my walk and walk my talk as we Mm. say in you know in what I call no hands massage where I trained in originally yeah Um, but it but if you don't know a thing this is what really fascinated me about neuroscience and psychology and psychotherapy is that if you are what we call unconscious incompetent i.e you don't know a thing yeah then you don't know that you need a thing so sometimes it needs someone else to say oh i know and give you the advice or or the information um, and then become aware of it and it's only when you're aware of something even if you still don't know what you're doing and how to do it but there is a path that you have to go through and for me that journey has been totally uh, really really you know I call it Nate navel gazing I've had to go in and do the work yeah Um, and sometimes it's been really painful and we don't want to go to pain no and we're not taught uh tolerance we're not taught how to tolerate the period of changes and and fluctuations in our daily life so stress we're not taught how to can we stand with it can we move through it it'll pass um, mm. death as well you know a serious death and trauma all sorts of different things when it's unfamiliar to us when we haven't experienced or learned something before we have this what we call like an oscillation in our nervous system and it's the way the brain grows and develops so that that was where I came through that I mm. had to find a route that was right for me yeah and everybody's route's going to be different can we go back to your story because i think you know that could be really really helpful for a lot of people as well to understand like how you came to become this solution focused therapist how you became to you know get to this point i guess you know we've sort of touched on this before we started recording how you've become this sort of like no bullshit approach you know therapist a little bit who you know because i do agree like there's an element of like we we need to have deep understanding and compassion for somebody that's unwell and is genuinely try like you know I probably was not that fun to be around when I was really depressed and had really bad panic attacks and stuff. I love all my friends and family for sticking around. I was probably quite difficult to be around. Mm. Um, But there is, like you say, this element of, you know, recovery is a choice. Healing is a choice. And, you know, the choices that we make daily, I talk about this a lot in in my private membership, you know, it's the, these, what what I call the one percenters. You know, these tiny choices that you make that you don't always think are a choice and they become repetitive patterns, you know. Yeah. But I, I would love to, you know, just share a bit more about kind of your story and how yeah, of what brought you to this place. Oh, my gosh. That's 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 about 10 podcasts down the line. Where I'll give you a very, a very structured brief outline. Um, how did I get to this place? Well, first of all, I want everybody who's listening or watching to know that actually where you are right at this moment is where you should be because everything all of your shadows behind you 
all of your history got you to be sitting and listening and watching. And that is means that you survived. So whatever went on, you're doing all right. Mm. But for me, we're not told that. No. You know, we have to conform when we're children. We, we have no choice when we're children. We're told what to do, how to think, how to behave, right or wrong. I trained in transactional analysis to learn about all that and the development of the brain for children. Um, it, you know, it's a really important thing. But I came from a, what I would call, everybody would call it now, but not then, a deprived family. We were very deprived. We, everybody was deprived in our town uh, where I was brought up. And so there was, there was kind of like... Um, what would you call it? There was there wasn't enough time to give the needs that the children wanted. Mm-hmm. So there was no hooks and cuggles. There was no, you know, there was nothing to an extent. So I came from a family of get up, stand up, brush yourself down, get out and don't moan about it. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time, or I did, and my siblings outside. It was safer outside the house than it was inside the house. Um, and so I came from that environment, uh, but there was lots of love and lots of joy. So I'm not going to paint it all black. It wasn't. But my father, uh, I suppose you might call him narcissistic now, but, but you know, I didn't know any of this stuff then. And mm. so we walked around on eggshells when he was coming in because we never knew the mood he would be in and who would actually pick on. He had this really view of making us feel uncomfortable and he would pick on one of us and there were seven so we were all every one of us was living a life on the edge including my mother I think but but there were good times as well but mm. he was uh he I would class him as an alcoholic but he drank a lot mm. and he got drunk a lot um and that made the situation worse but coming jumping over that I realised that what happened was through school, um, I was dissociated, numbed out, zoned out, whatever you want to call it. I never focused on school because because now I know children's development is that when they're under stress, they can't focus. Um, so when I left school, there was no, I had no education, couldn't read or write. I think I've already talked about that. Uh, and I'm not ashamed to acknowledge that mm. I couldn't read or write. I was dyslexic. Uh, and I was diagnosed with that at 50. So Isn't that so powerful, though? Massive. You know, when you start me, to understand, yeah. you know, with a diagnosis, like a lot of people say, oh, the labels are unhelpful and that kind of thing. But I'm like, sometimes they're really not because it helps yeah. you just go, oh, my brain just works slightly differently Different. to how other people's does. Yeah. And if I do these things, it makes my life easier, you yeah. know? Absolutely. And so for me, that gave me a lot of personal uh, disabilities, mm. as in self-belief, confidence, esteem, all the things that go wrap around with that. Mm. But that was that. And then eventually what happened, uh, my dad did something really amazing. He he, got, he lost uh, the company he worked for, made him redundant, and he decided mm. to take redundancy money. And he decided he was going to buy the biggest taxi firm, because it was up for sale, um, in the town. He'd never done business. He'd never run a company. He'd been a foreman all his life in a factory. Mm. But somehow he was going to do this. And it was amazing. I'm 
you know, I hold my hat off to him, really. Yeah. But within, I would say, 18 months, by this time I was married and living out of the house, mm. there was a decline in him. His personality changed. Um, his moods changed. He didn't have the, what I call the feisty kind mm. of, you know, uh, energy about him. He mm -hmm. seemed quite passive. Um, you know, and my mum, she had worked in a huge uh, mental health asylum, uh, which was one of the biggest in Europe. So yeah. her attitude to mental health was like cut and dry. Yeah. And she took control of it. Um, so we didn't realise, none of the family knew, that he really had depression. And my mother, in a wonderful infinite wisdom, took him off to the doctors and then this was you know in the 80s gave him mm. antidepressants and sent him home and but he got progressively worse um, mm. and he became really psychotic as in he really believed things were happening that weren't happening to him um, and that became quite scary so mm. I had no training then I had no understanding of mental health. Um, I didn't even know what psychosis was. Yeah. And we we did everything we could to kind of shout him out of it. Come on, you know, pull yourself together. What's wrong with you? And, and in realisation, that was the most worst thing I could have done. But we didn't know any better. And I think that's so the, the good thing now about the conversations that are being had around these topics because... I think a lot of people misunderstand, don't they? They're like, well, you used to be, you know, some of the things that you've just said, well, that spark had gone or he, he wasn't so feisty anymore. So you're just thinking, well, go back to being your feisty old self, you know? Yeah, How yeah, hard pull, can it pull be? Your socks up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But because, not realising that actually it's yeah, really hard. It's yeah, really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can tell you a funny tale. It might shock, it might shock your listeners, but, you know, um, my mum, she was feistier. You know, she was smaller than she was like four foot seven or something. She was tiny, but she, my gosh, she had spirit. And she used to come in, and if he was sat in the chair, and he just—I mean, he was seriously poorly at this time. I remember her saying, "I came a good amount with a slipper." <laughs> I want to think wow. about it now. I'm yeah. really laughing now. But she said because she—it was just she didn't know what to do either. But I think um, even back those days in asylums and things like that, you know, when you look at how people with mental ill health have been treated over the years, it's almost, you know, and I don't know loads of details about this, so I'm, you know, sort of assimilating little bits of information that I've picked up from all different places, but it seems like it was very much like, you know, electroshock therapy and almost like putting people in almost like, jail for want of a better description yeah. like as long yeah. as they're not crazy on the street you know yeah. let's just put them out of sight out of mind and things yeah. like that rather than really trying to rehabilitate people and and support them and show them compassion and yeah. and care and you know like you say things like psychosis and whatever I mean it can be terrifying I remember Absolutely. I had a good friend of mine who you know she was very un unwell for a while and um you know going to visit her and her talking about all different manner of things that 
I wasn't aware that we're real yeah, in my reality where I was and ch- sort of chatting along with her as if it's all real and you know yeah. whatever and it was yeah. just it's quite it's, scary it's scary um, and my one of my sisters who sadly passed away now uh, ended up in in a, a care home uh, for most of her life because of because mm. of you know the, the impact and I'd love to say you know the impact that my father's death you know him taking his own life it was so horrendous um and because he'd bought the biggest taxi company in the town Mm. um it it was it's quite strange when i think about it now because not only did my family suffer but every other taxi driver in the business suffered Mm. because they had radios on them where you couldn't switch off um and on that day can we can we talk you all right with that yeah on that day um we now realise that he'd actually planned it somehow. For more information on how you can bring your happiness back, why not join Rachel's monthly membership or contact her via her website, www.welfordwellbeing.com. There was a switch, my mum said. We talked about this a long, long time yeah. after. We never discussed it after. But up until the point of uh, about two or three days earlier, he was in this deep malaise this deep deep dark mood um nothing could be done so my brother uh one of my brothers had to run the company as well and keep all the men kind of in the jobs yeah we had a radio in the house there was no mobile phone sir yeah and there was a big like radio in the house so you could hear it all over the house because we had to hear when calls were coming in and so just to com- just to confirm for people that are listening that might not understand, do you mean like a radio that's like um, yeah? Know, um, I don't know what they're called. Is it called a CB radio where yes. everyone? I've just forgot how old. No, that's I okay. No, I'm just because <laughs> there might be people that are listening that are like, what What do you mean What's a radio? A radio? In the house? But so for people that maybe don't um, realise, pre-Wi-Fi, there used to be, and still I think glory drivers and stuff still use them. I think don't they? It's called a CB radio, and you have these um, little uh, handheld little- things that. You yeah, can talk walkie into talkie. It's like a walkie-talkie, but it, um, pro- you know, can project that message to multiple yeah. different places yes. at once. Yeah, Every- so- it's like the radio. If you're tuned into the radio frequency, yeah. everybody who's got the, you know, walkie-talkie yeah. or radio on yeah. will pick can- up whatever anybody. What he's saying. Yeah. So when you hear taxi drivers, you know you'll hear. You know I don't know what Oprah do, but you will hear them like so. You know there's a, there's a shout at number fifty two. Yeah. Oh, I'm there. I'll go off. So it was that, but it was in the house, and um, and my mum and dad had brought up my nephew mm. who was really disabled and autistic, and it was the one day that it was his sports day, and consequently. We now realise that my dad recognised that everybody would be at, at my nephew's fun day. Mm. Um, and that was the day that he decided, or or maybe not, but took his own life. Mm. And he did it in such a way, and I don't want to kind of go into that detail with your audience, but it was so graphic and mm. so unbelievable, that, you know, how he did that that it became impossible to understand how Mm. he could have done it, but he did do it. And my mum came home with my nephew and the radio was like going off and people saying, yeah, anybody seen, you know, Billy? Anybody seen Billy? Where is he? And my brother said, will he go and check? Because he's not in the office. So Mm. my mum was the first one to go upstairs and find him. And 
my brother, who who is really poorly now, um, and I may touch on that later, and he said, I just heard this screaming because obviously my mum had found him and it, and it was a gunshot wound, so you can imagine the scene mm-hmm. there. And my brother said, he said, we just never heard anything like it. No. And consequently, all these taxi drivers ended up at the house. or was anybody could get there. But my brother was, was the one right up the stairs to figure out what had gone on. Um, and, and, and obviously then that, that yeah. set off a whole catalyst of events after that uh, but it was that it was that instant moment uh, for my brother I think that caused him major major uh, mental health issues he has now yeah. epilepsy um, and just the shock of yeah. you know the realization that that's happened yeah I think unless you I mean maybe this is one of my limiting beliefs but I think with like major trauma like that unless you get some very, you know, specific or specialist, either (laughs) either or, (laughs) get one of the words out, Um, treatment, you know, where people specifically understand trauma and and what that can produce in the body and the mind in terms of, you know, and again, tr- you know, trauma responses is very new research. You know, I imagine back in the 80s, it was, there was again, just a very, probably just starting, some of the pioneers were just starting to research Absolutely. and things like that. So, yeah, I can imagine that would have a, a huge And that's what effect. really, yeah, that's what drove me to uh, the therapy that I, I predominantly do now most mm-hmm. of the time. I trained in all sorts of psychotherapies uh, in the therapy transaction analysis but I ended up finding this wonderful man called Terence Watts and I'll Mm. touch on him in a minute brainwork recursive therapies and it deals with with trauma as Mm. in straight away there is no no messing about with that it's a natural process of the brain and and like you said the last couple of years everybody's talking about you know the the trauma, the fight, the fight, the fleas, how the body holds all of the shock, uh, but the nervous system. So that's kind of where I go. Uh, you know, I don't analyse it. We don't have to talk about it. We just need to know how you want to feel. And then we'll unravel and release the, because we get frozen in that yeah. moment in the brain. It's really, really fascinating neuroscience. Yeah. Um, I find it fascinating the whole thing you know like about completing the loop the loop you know about the loop oh yeah all all that stuff it's like fascinating to me because I similarly you know through my own traumatic experiences that I got upset I mean I just got obsessed sometimes I look at my bedside table and I think god you put something a bit more cheery do you know what I mean it's all like books about trauma recovery and stuff (laughs) like oh don't you want to put a little you know I don't know romance novel there or something (laughs) I'm like nah the impact of any distress mm. if not dealt with and this is where I came into solution focus if not dealt with at the time of the incident then we just absorb it back into the body yeah. and and the brain has to process it yeah. that's my view now and having worked with lots of cancer patients in, a, in the, that environment uh, 
going through that cancer journey. That's where I started. That's mm-hmm. where I was coming along. And say, I learned how to fix myself through therapy, and then yeah. I learned how to help others fix themselves. Because what happened is, after my father's death, it fractured everything. It mm-hmm. you can't go back you can't make things go back and as much as you want them to go back you can't it's the reality is and that's where I'm based in reality you've got to look at the reality yeah he's not coming back you can be angry frustrated rage loads of emotions but you can't bring them back and you can't change but when you don't know how to express it and and work with it then it it causes serious serious psychological physiological problems yeah and i ended up um, seriously poorly uh in a very few years after it wasn't very long after uh, because nobody talked about it and mm. we, we discussed that and it's like nobody speaks about it and no you sweep it under the carpet it's like there's yeah. so much shame yeah around you know, it, not even just suicide, but mental health in general. And I, I, I'm super happy that people are having be- bigger and better conversations. And, you know, th- but there's certain narratives around it now that I'm a bit like, you know, this whole, it's okay not to be okay. It's no, it's fucking not. not. It's, it's not. fucking not okay <laughs> to not be okay. It's fucking shit. It it's is awful. Shit. Like when you've um, got severe depression, it's Awful. awful when you're having panic attacks so bad you can't leave your house yeah. it's awful it's not okay yeah, it's, it's not, not okay, okay. because basically that. your body's dying you know your, your brain believes perceives doesn't matter what you want to do uh, your brain is perceiving that you're going to die and it's going to do everything it can to survive so it sends out these massive massive discomfort yeah so that we take note the problem is we don't take note until we're in serious yeah discomfort and and it was only in 2018 and i've done training um i've done a lot of training in my life to get to where i was and i had uh i had a massive post-traumatic stress episode um Mm. from an accident i had and and i i couldn't function i couldn't even pick up a phone i knew this is what I call my gap, that mental health in the UK, I'm only going to speak from my experiences, and missing the plot because mm. all the clients that I work with come and they say, they, the doctor said, gave me a form, go ring this number, book an appointment, you'll go online, do, 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 do this. Well, you're in the gap. Mm. You're not functioning. You can't, your brain doesn't function. But I th- I, do you think that's where a lot of the medical model in general only looks to get people back to functioning? Yeah. And I want to get people to happy. Uh, I want to get people oh. to, to like, you know, literally like loving themselves so much Absolutely. and being happy with who they are and being able to have great relationships with their yeah. friends and family because they're not yeah. like hiding who yeah. they who they feel that they need to be or they're not pretending. They can yeah. just 100% be who they are and be happy and yeah. be happy in their life. Not just yeah. like, oh, well, at least you're up and out of bed and you're able to get back to that job that you hate. That's okay. It's not. It's not okay. Not okay. It's never okay. I mean, I don't like. I don't even like the words mental health because mental health means we have a brain because that's our that's our mm. process. Um, so you know, there needs to be, and I'm sure there is now a new kind of 
discussion about it as mm. how do we talk about it because it's so big you can't put all of the symptoms all of the conditions all of you know the things that cause us to be unwell yeah under a big umbrella even though we do have to call it mental health it's, um, it's, it's funny when you think of it like that isn't it it's like going to the hospital and they go what's wrong and you go i've got physical health problem yeah. <laughs> And they Which go, department do you want to go to? And they go, yeah, well, yeah, what kind of physical health problem? You go, it's a physical health problem. And they're like, well, what? You've got appendicitis, having a heart attack, you break exactly. your arm. You're like, it's, it's a physical like- health problem, fix me. And they go, here's a tablet, off you go. <laughs> it's, like, it's like having a vehicle, isn't it? You know, what part of the vehicle isn't working? You know, well, if it's if you've got a flat tyre, you know, you know you've got a oil flat change tire, ain't gonna fix it. <laughs> You don't want to take your flat tyre to the paint working shop because he hasn't got a clue what a flat tyre is. Yeah. I, know, I know we're making light of it now, but that's how but it's I mean, true. I can get really grumpy. And, and a lot of the practitioners I used to train with, they used to call me the Rottweiler of therapy because <laughs> I can't imagine that for anyone who's like listening on the audio version. Go and check out YouTube. You definitely don't look like a Rottweiler. You look like the most gentle, lovely woman. <laughs> no, trust me. I, I can have my mum. Watch out. She's, up, she's, in, she's a, in a cloak of disguise. <laughs> I've got my new face on. But, but I'm like that with my clients. I, I, you know, it's, there's the, our physical bodies, majority of the time, and this is what's really important for me, is that I learned through working with people in cancer care. I was an integrative complementary therapist and we used to do rapid calming techniques. And we had to do something amazing. We had to make people, we had to try and teach people how to calm themselves like that. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like in this moment, you've got to have an injection. You're going to have to calm down because you can't have chemotherapy. And we were very, we were a fantastic team. It was a highly researched team uh, in Manchester. Did some great work. However, you sometimes you just have to shock people to break them out of the pattern mm. and it is a pattern and the pattern is the narrative mm. of the things that they're saying to themselves so you have to interrupt it yeah. so i did loads of things to interrupt them um but basically fundamentally to teach them that actually you can change the physiology and the biochemistry of your body if you just switch you're thinking that narrative mm. to another narrative yes. and all of your systems will change and and even the consultants you know we i work with people in icu so they couldn't even you know they couldn't even switch their own switches they wanted to but mm. when we worked with them you could actually physically see their stats coming down yeah. and their heart rates and consultants used to say what are you, are you doing how, are you doing how, how that? is that happening and we yeah. go the body's doing it yeah. because the body, if we take the conscious out, if we get out of our own way, sorry, I could offend lots of people here. If we get out of our own way, we can actually have a, what I call happy, full, happy, mm. full life. Yeah. Not a singing and dancing, but we can feel comfortable in our own skin. And that's yeah. what I'm passionate about, getting yeah. people to be able to function, think, reality check, you know wake up because it's it's difficult when you're in that moment though isn't it because when you're when I'm unwell in my head Mm. I think all manner of things that 
when I'm wowed, I realise are just hilarious and not true. And it's so difficult because when you're in those spaces to hear things like, well, you need to get out your own way or whatever, can seem very um, blaming or whatever. Absolutely. But but it isn't. It's like it's empowering because it's like actually... It, you're the one that's in you're the one that's in you're control of this like your illness isn't controlling you once yeah. you realize that your illness isn't controlling you you yeah. can control the illness yeah. you can reprogram your mind you can reprogram your nervous system certain people they talk about oh chemical imbalance how do we and it is because we are you know i, I teach my clients first of all you know how the body works basic mm. stuff not mm. you know don't go into it don't make it boring uh, we do the most amazing draws drawings on the therapy wall but but basically, we're Chernobyl, you know, we're, we're, filled, we're filled up with all these chemicals and hormones mm. and neurons and, you know, and electrical currencies and data. And, and they're all communicating with each other. And if there's, it's just like, you know, it's just like plugging the kettle in. If the kettle's not fully rewired, it's not going to work. But I, it's really interesting is because we can change the state of our mind mm. and our internal systems really, really quickly. Yeah. And for me... You know, brain working recursive therapy is is just so unique, and it does that in the mm. moment. But but we've come with a package, mm. and we've come with a history, and that for me is the story. Really, you're bringing all of your story, you're bringing all of your beliefs and your family's beliefs and your history and your mm. generations' beliefs, and you kind of it's a blueprint. Yeah. But it's not your DNA. Somebody right. gave you that. And you can, if you want at this moment in time, make a choice as to, you know, how you move forward. Don't forget to meet us over on YouTube for the uncut video version and additional content of all episodes. You can find the link in the description. I think that with suicide a lot of the time in my experience and stuff that I've known about that is the pi- generally people just want the pain to stop yeah and they can't see any other way out they think that yeah. they're just such a burden or they've got things so wrong that it's mm. somehow irreparable yeah and the only way out of that pain or that discomfort or that issue that they've got is just to not be anymore yeah and that was my learning. It took me a long time to learn that. And really, and it's only really recently, in the last couple of years, that I realised that um, my dad really didn't have a choice mm. in, in what he was doing because, one, he wasn't functioning psychologically. Yeah. Um, then he was given antidepressants, which we now know can actually... Uh, make things worse make things worse Uh, and for him it certainly made it worse but we didn't know that and and consequently all of his systems were offline and if all Mm. of your systems are offline yeah your brain is going to fight that's how I look at it that it's going to do everything it can to make you kind of do the things that you've done before because it's it's kept you safe. Does that make mm, sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we've done this behaviour avoidance of something. It's kept us safe. We'll keep doing it again. Yeah. And that's the pattern that I'm talking about that we have to interrupt yeah. and switch it around. It's um, so difficult, isn't it, when you get trapped in those things that, and it's that weird thing, I think, then where you get, caught often in this shame cycle or blame cycle where you realize what you're doing isn't helpful 
you've realized that the behavior or the thought pattern or the feeling isn't helpful but somehow it's almost like a compulsion and you just keep going around and around and around and then it and then it gets worse because you're like why am I doing it again what hell's wrong with me you know and it's like not realizing that you're actually trapped and unless you break that it's a cycle cycle, isn't it yeah (laughs) you're just gonna keep going around yeah it's like a washing machine yeah i I talk about i talk a lot in metaphors and it's like a washing machine you put so much stuff in there yeah or a pressure cooker and then you're trying to push more and more and more in but the washing machine's still going around yeah just reminded me that i haven't got my washing out you know i've walked around with loads of pink on because you know i put pink sock or something in the washing yeah. machine but that's really it's really so that's it and what we have to do is unravel mm. you know but not just unravel the brain that i was uh, I, that was my light bulb moment for me because mm. i had done the therapies i qualified in therapies because i wanted to heal me i was getting really poorly in my autoimmune system i have two that shut down had before they even noticed fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue mm. and all of the symptoms. I had so many tests. I went to so many different consultants and so many different hospital apartments with my body. Mm. Which department do you want to go in now? But nobody was telling me there was anything wrong with it. They were like going through all the lists going, no, it's not that, it's not that. And it was making me sicker. It's mm. making me more ill because now my brain was totally, you're really ill. Yeah, you know, you're really ill, and something is majorly wrong with me. Yeah, because I could feel my body wasn't right, but I couldn't express into words what it was. And mm. that's the beautiful thing of language. We not were not trained to speak in that language mm. of like metaphors. You know, we can't express what we're experiencing so I teach clients and myself how to speak in metaphors you know so yeah. I've worked on loads of like beautiful Scottish trout and crocodile shoes and you know, <laughs> how do you want to feel because yeah. fundamentally if you can work out how you want to feel rather than how you do feel mm. then you have the ability to change it around yeah and to move towards it yeah it's not so- going to belittle anything or take away you know the grief or the sadness it's not going to take away the experience but it will help the brain and the body to move forward yeah so what one thing do you wish you'd known um you know about grief I guess and like recovering from somebody very close to you committing suicide in a you know violent way and that knock-on effect that that had yeah what do you wish you'd known like that you know now before you know especially for anyone that's listening that might have experienced a similar thing i think i think the predominant thing is first of all don't own it that's for me is a fundamental don't own it you didn't do anything and you can't own someone else's action you're not responsible and i know that's really hard for a lot of people because they're looking for the answers and there isn't an answer unless somebody left you a note, and then there's still mm. questions of questions. So I think for me, fundamentally, learning that there's only three questions that we can ask, that everybody asks, is the why, the what, and the how. And the problem is we get, I believe, and I've done it myself, we get stuck in the why. Mm. Why did it happen? Why did they do it? Why didn't I see it? Blah, 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 blah. 
throughout life, it's not even to do mm. with suicide. So that why question needs to be turned around because it's not giving the brain the information that the brain needs. And the brain has got the information always if you listen mm. to it. It will tell you what to do and how to do it if we ask the right question. And the right question is how, what, what can I do in this moment that's going to move it forward how can I you know and if you don't know the answer then how can I find the answer how can I you know how can I feel better you know mm. what do I need to do to overcome blah 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 what do yeah. I need to do to make something change how Amazing. so if you don't have the answer what happens is if you ask the what question and it tells you so this is getting a bit deep really here now sorry <laughs> Sorry, like, now I love it. It's so, so if you sit, if you can just sit, and this isn't for people who's in this total crisis at the minute, you know. So if somebody's just died and things, it's a really hard process to do, mm. but you can do it. So it's about teaching people. I believe we have to teach people. People have to learn to build their own tolerance mm. and their own resilience, and you can do it. But you can do it as easily as one, two, three writing yeah. you know writing a bike it's easier than writing a bike but we have to learn it and we have to teach children that it's okay to have all of these feelings so yes. anger sadness rage frustration guilt shame hate they're natural emotions and and it's okay to have them in the right situation yeah not after the event big Anna. learning to, to, for me was you know especially around anxiety is it the right response to whatever's happening because you need anxiety yes you're never going to get rid of it you know but when it's oh you know when it's over everything um or you don't know why you're anxious that's a problem but if you're a bit yeah. anxious because i don't know like i remember one of the biggest talks i did or at that time anyway, I think it was 350 people or something. And I walked through the auditorium and it was empty, you know, and I walked down the middle and there was all these seats and I thought, Christ, that's a lot of people, you know. And suddenly all the anxiety came. But then I was like, it's the right response. It's all right to be a bit anxious if you're doing a big talk, you know. Um, and it, so it's, it can be it can be okay. It so, is can. Because it's a natural process, anxiety. Anxiety makes us do something. It's... Mm. When we get those sensations in our body, like anxiety, it means that we're not addressing something. They yes. are our first trigger to say, take notice. Yeah. So you have to observe them and take notice of them and then kind of look around and go, okay, in this moment, I've got this strange sensation in my tummy. Mm. So what's happening for me? And it might be nothing because... Yeah. The invisible lion, as I talked, yeah. I think I sent you a little link about um, Benjamin Fry's book, The Invisible Lion. They are triggers yeah. in our brain, in our subconscious, right down in the reptilian part, right down in, it's not even mm. the brain, it's outside the brain. But they fire up. That's everything you've ever learned. Mm. Everything you've responded to is in there. You can't yeah. take it away. You can, however, change the response to it but you yeah. can't stop the trigger. Does that make sense? So yeah, it fires absolutely. up and then you get all the physiological symptoms. So the sweating, the dry mouth, the angst, you know, the, the critical mm -hmm. thinking, you know, I'm stupid or nobody loves me anymore. You can't stop that because it's so rapid. But when you notice it, 
we can then learn a really new data. We can slot in. It's like a record player, I yeah. call it. So, so you've got like this little gap. I call this, this is where we get lost in the gap down here. Mm. So we have this gap. And all our data is on this side. And all our responses are on this side. So it's like a little synapsis, this mm. gap. And then what happens is the brain fires up. And then we get this massive surge of energy. And then we get a conscious response that we are aware of, but it's too late because the body's responding. Mm. So it's a, so that's the cycle, isn't it? That's the washing yeah. machine. And you just get stuck in there. And what we do and what we can do, and I've done it so many times and I love it even myself, is we can actually, on this point, that's just an old pattern that the mm. brain has learned. And we just slot in a new, we just slot in a new pattern. New disk, yeah. So a new piece of data. And then when you get the same trigger, the brain sends a different new data across. Yeah. So you respond in a different way. But you have to learn it. You can't, you know, yeah. you have to tell the brain to do that. So powerful. So Absolutely. if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? What's the best way to get oh, in touch? Um, well, my website is bwrtmerseside.co.uk and you can find me there. Um, I'm based in Merseyside, which is Haydock. I have a private clinic. The clinic's not open still at the minute because I'm doing some other things. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. You can, they can they can stalk me on Facebook if they want, Dawn Stemmer. Um, or they can go to, you know, some of the sites that I'm on. So the Terence Watts Institute, which is bwrt.org. Uh, and if there's professionals listening and they want to, you know, look more at how we can quickly, because it does do it really quickly, help people to feel more comfortable in their own skin. Mm. Um, there is a professional site there as well, and they can oh. go and visit that. Oh, it's um, And the hypnotherapy directory. Um, so I'm in all of the directories, FHT, um, so people can find me there. Oh, and uh, it's been really lovely. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing so much information and your story. It's just been yeah. super powerful. And um, to everyone listening, as always, I will speak to you again very soon. Much love. Thank you. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as Rachel enjoys making this podcast. Why not share it with a friend in need of some heartwarming inspiration? And if you really love it, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts as it really helps us reach and inspire more people. Thanks for listening. It's not okay to just be okay.